Dog Bless You is brought to you by Button Up Box. We love our dogs and want them to be as healthy and as happy as possible. What do dogs want? Love and a delicious dinner, of course. Button Up Box and Wild Heart Foundation have an amazing relationship because we really do care about what our dogs eat. And it's all thanks to a certain rescue called Rudy. Rudy was in a really bad way. Her skin was sore and itchy, her energy was low, and then there were her farts. Absolutely foul. So co-founder and proud owner, Dave, started making her meals from scratch, gently cooking healthy home ingredients. Rudy, within weeks, recovered with more energy, healthy skin, and those farts, all gone. After developing the perfect recipe of 60% meat and 40% vegetables and none of the nasties along with colleague Kev, Button Up Box was born. What I love best is they actually taste the meals themselves and each portion is customized to suit your individual dog's needs. Button Up Box believes dogs deserve better and listeners of Dog Bless You can get 75% off their first two weeks of Button Up Box meals. Just go to buttonupbox.com slash W-A-H-F to apply. And for each new order using this link, an amazing £20 will go to the Wild at Heart Foundation. That's buttonutbox.com slash W-A-H-F. So help rescue a dog today by treating your dog to some fresh, gently cooked meals from Button Up Box. Proud sponsors of Dog Bless You. Hello and welcome to Dog Bless You with Nikki Tibbles. No, I'm not your host, Nikki Tibbles. I'm actually the producer, Mike Hansen. Now, the reason I'm hosting this first episode is because we thought it was a good idea to introduce you to Nikki by talking to her about her work with the Wild at Heart Foundation and answer a lot of the many questions around adopting a rescue dog and why it's so important in the first place. In later episodes, Nikki will be your host, of course, and we'll be talking to a variety of dog lovers, owners of rescue dogs, and those who devote their lives to caring for man's best friend. But more on that later. But right now, let's say hello to Nikki. So uh, here we are in your lovely West London home. Thank uh, you. Home of several dogs. Six. Six. We're not here at the and moment. And me. <laughs> and yourself. But we do have one in the background who uh, you'll probably hear from later. Uh, so Nikki, when we first met and we got talking about doing this podcast, you were telling me about the Wild Heart Foundation and a load of other things about dogs, particularly around the world. And in my head just kind of went, oh, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. Uh, yeah. Uh, which there were so many questions arose just from the things you were telling me, which gave me the idea. For this first episode, let's just talk about that aspect of what you do. So let's start with you. How did you become involved with the welfare of dogs? I guess, um, I think from a very early age, you know, having a love of dogs. I grew up with dogs. My father always had rescue dogs. We had dogs all of my life and, you know, I would go out to bed and my parents wouldn't let me take my dogs up to sleep but they'd always find me in the morning asleep with my dogs in their bed so they've always been a huge part of my life and I was very blessed to have my father who if I brought home an injured pigeon or a rabbit or a dog or anything my father was just the most amazing caring loving animal lover and so wherever I've been all my life I've had a dog when I went to university I went to Canal Street Dogs Home in Birmingham and got myself a dog that 
came to lectures with me. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever I was traveling, I would spend my entire time feeding dogs, looking after them, taking them to the vets. And, and I guess I was always aware of a situation in the world with dogs, but you know, you don't really think about these things so much. We all go on holiday to places like Greece and Thailand and we see dogs on the street. Mm. How many of us actually really do anything about this global stray dog situation? Yeah. Okay, so how, do, how does someone go from obviously being a dog lover to actually being, a, I call it, an activist, really? Because, um, yeah, you're right, go on holiday, you see dogs mistreated, you see strays and you feel bad, but then you get on the plane, come home, you forget about it. You don't. You come home no. on the plane with the dog. Uh, mostly, yes. <laughs> Wherever I can. I have to say my, my most absolute favorite plane journey ever was uh, coming back from Puerto Rico about six months ago. We'd been driving through Puerto Rico where we have our mass, our global sterilization clinics, and in front of a car on our way to the clinic, two puppies were literally just thrown out the window of the car. Mm. So of course we stopped to pick them up, we took them to the clinic, and uh, a wonderful woman I met at the clinic has a shelter in Long Island, and she said to me, Nikki, if you can just take them back to New York, you know, we'll, we'll rehome them. So my partner and I will took these two cute little puppies to Delta on the airline, got to the airport, everyone is looking at us like, you know, it's royalty or it's some sort of famous person just gliding through the airport with two dogs. Even when one stopped to have a poo, everyone is still going, oh, so sweet. Oh, ah, oh, how gorgeous. Get on the plane, we got upgraded at Delta. Right. And I had the nicest journey. I had one puppy asleep around I my hip. I didn't know Delta had a doggy class. <laughs> they should do. And one puppy asleep here by my hip. And I fell asleep with these two puppies for like three hours. Everyone was so nice to us. And we took those dogs to the shelter and they got adopted and now they have the best life in New York. Brilliant. But I think, you know, for, for me it was, I went to, to Puerto Rico by accident about 15, 20 years ago. And I spent my entire time rescuing dogs, feeding them, talking to people, taking dogs to the vets. And Two dogs in particular I found living by Bergervan and uh, I left them, I, we fed them, I left them and I said to my then partner, you know, if I can't leave them, you know, we'll have to go back and get them. He said, Nick, if they're in the morning, we will, we'll, we'll do something mm. about it. So of course they were there in the morning because yeah. they lived by a burger van. So we smuggled them into the hotel, spoke to one of the waiters whose wife was American and actually helped adopt dogs took them to the vet. Lily had to have her eye removed because she had a really bad infection. And then, of course, they were going to find these dogs a home. But nobody wants a street dog in Puerto Rico. Mm. Nobody adopts out of any of the shelters there. And this was 15 years ago, so there right. isn't, there wasn't the problem then that there is now. There's half a million dogs on the street in Puerto Rico. Really? An own dog is on is there the street. Any, is there more now due to the hurricane and stuff? There are like a lot more now due yeah. to the hurricane because of course when people were leaving the island there was a ban on dogs being flown really? out of the island so people had to leave their dogs behind mm. and a lot of people Billy left. didn't like that, I, that part. Good, good for you Billy, thank you for that comment. Um, and a lot of dogs were just left behind tied up in people's houses mm. or shut up behind you know, gates of, of locked, locked buildings and dogs were starving to death. And I flew out to Puerto Rico just after the hurricane and I mean there was a curfew, everyone had to queue for money, 
Q for petrol, Q for food, and of course the, the last or least priority on the island when people didn't have enough money to feed themselves, they didn't have a roof over their head. Nobody had come in from the States, apart from good old Donald Trump with mm. his kitchen roll, you know, to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so we went out there to start working with existing shelters. But just going back to why it all started, I adopted Rose and Lily and I brought them over. Um, and um, anyway, Lily very sadly died, but Rose lived till she was 13 and she was the most extraordinary dog. Mm. She looked like an old man's dog. You know, like when old men sit outside pubs with these yeah. dogs that you used yeah. to be able to get at Battersea? Mm. She looked like that. And when she passed away, I promised her that I would get another dog from abroad. And when you Google rescue dogs from abroad, it is like opening the sort of floodgates of hell because you can't unsee mm. what is happening in the world. And I don't honestly know of that many places in this world where a life of a dog on a street mm. is a great life. No. That it's, you know, it's pretty horrific. Yeah. So at that point, I promised her I would get another rescue dog from abroad and that's how it started. And that's the foundation? Started that's the foundation. really the very beginnings of the foundation, okay. yes. And so how does the foundation operate now? Uh, is it your full-time work or how much time do you spend dealing with it? And do you have people helping you go rescue dogs and yeah. that side of it? I mean, it could be, and mm. I would love it to be my full-time job, mm. but I have another full-time job, you know, my mm -hmm. business, my mm -hmm. flowers, which funds the foundation. Uh, and I have an amazing team who work, we have three people in our adoption team. So we rescue dogs from all over the world, but mostly Europe. Um, it's easier to get dogs in from mainland and Ireland. So we, we bring dogs in from Romania, Cyprus, Bosnia, Bulgaria, mm. uh, Greece, Lesbos, Portugal, Lebanon. Mm. Uh, some from Puerto Rico um, and some from the Middle East. I've even brought a dog in from Azerbaijan mm. that I found with a broken hip when I was out there working once. But the, our, I guess we concentrate on Europe. So mm. the rehoming is one part of the foundation and that's the lovely sort of fluffy, tangible mm. sort of, you know, the thing that people talk about. You know, we've got a group of people who have Wilder Heart Foundation dogs that go for a walk on Wormwood Scrubs every day or up on Hampstead Heath mm -hmm. and they get together and it's like, oh, you've got a nice dog. Where's your dog from? It's from Wilder Heart. Oh my God, my dog's from Wilder Heart. So there's an amazing community of Wilder Heart Foundation dogs. But as I said, that is the sort of, it's a lovely, fluffy, tangible moment of saving a life. Yeah. You know, you rescue yeah. a dog, you save a life, you rescue Billy, you save a life. Uh, but the, the bigger and the most important aspect of the work that we do is us having our global mass sterilization clinics. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, there are 600 million stray dogs on the street. From one litter of puppies on the street, yeah. there will be 67,000 dogs. Yeah, I remember you mentioned that, 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 that statistic. So that's, that's, that's mind blowing. Mind blowing. How, yeah. And that's just unfettered. Breeding, I That's guess, so just the, 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 the strays getting together and breeding and lots yes. of... Yeah, wow. and you know, a, a, the more a dog, a female dog, the more litters they have, mm. the more litters they have. So, you know, here, for example, if you have a kennel club registered dog, that dog would have no more than two litters a year. But as in with puppy mill dogs too, 
the more litters they have. So if they have two litters and they can have another and another, we can have, we can have, we see dogs in Puerto Rico and other countries having up to four litters wow. a year. And that could be anywhere from four to And that eight can be anywhere dogs. to four to 10 puppies. That's amazing, yeah. no wonder. Um, and then obviously the, the other most important important element is education mm -hmm. and if we don't teach people to be kind and compassionate and also how to look after their dogs because mm -hmm. often it's a cultural thing I mean especially in Puerto Rico where the dogs that we sterilize are owned dogs an owned dog in Puerto Rico is a dog that's left to roam the streets mm -hmm. it's a dog that's tethered all day maybe in full sunshine with no food no water it might well be let off at night so it can go out and basically you know Shag well, dog in the village. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's so, an interesting say, thing you say about education, because even someone who wouldn't isn't particularly cruel. Mm. It's just thoughtlessness. I mean, that's where that whole "dogs die in hot cars" yeah. campaign came out of. Because people yeah. who took their dogs with them everywhere, but thought, "Oh, I can't take them in. I'll leave them in the car, do up yeah. the window," because they just weren't thinking. And it, yeah. it, it needed a campaign of awareness to say, "Don't leave your dog in a car. He's going to die." But do you leave your child mm. in a car? Well, yeah. I mean, and there's this whole thing, especially in the hot weather recently, you know, with your dogs walking on, you know, pavement that's absolutely boiling hot. Mm. If you can't touch it, mm. your dog shan't, shouldn't be walking on it. Mm. If you can't stand outside in the snow naked, mm. then you, your dog shouldn't be out yeah. in the snow naked either because they are essentially naked, mm. more or less. Mm. So, I mean, it's, it, it's basic things like that that most of us would think mm. of course that's not right but you know there are tens of thousands of dogs in the states that mm. live outside mm. all year round yeah. come rain or snow mm -hmm. um, and people just don't think about it mm. and then culturally uh, we were talking about this before um, certain parts of the world where the uh, dogs are just not valued at all and mm. in fact are considered food yes and I guess the cultural issue you would we'd have is making that argument well if we can eat cows and pigs in this country what's wrong with them eating uh, dogs you must have had that people come back to you and say yeah. well what's wrong with having a, a, a puppy farm in Thailand if the people are, are being bred there to eat because we do the same thing here yes um, well I, I mean there are various number of ways of answering that and that mm. I'm vegan so I don't yeah. eat any meat mm. the reason I became a vegetarian initially is because I was protesting outside the South Korean embassy about the dog meat trade about 10 years ago and I was interviewed by a journalist and asked me what I was doing there and he said so you know do you eat meat and I said yes I do and he said so you tell me what's the difference mm. and I swore there and then I would never eat meat again and then the more you look into it, and then you know, I stopped eating fish, and then you look at the dairy industry and you know, the whole issues around you know, industrial farming and the treatment of animals. You know, I, I am vegan, I don't eat eggs or dairy, meat mm -hmm. or, or fish, and I, I couldn't, and I believe that if you love one animal, like Billy, who is beautiful, could you eat Billy? No, of course not. And is why is a pig or a cow any different? Mm. And the reason, I guess, of the hard thing to get your head around in countries like South Korea, China, 
and Thailand, the Philippines, Vietnam, where dogs are eaten, mm. you know, they're eaten as a delicacy. Yeah. It's not because you're hungry mm. or you're poor. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm. And in certain times of the year where the Yulin Festival, which is actually taking place, taking place on the 21st of June, I believe, dogs are tortured so that there is more adrenaline yeah, that I goes know. to the meat. Mm. And the more adrenaline in the meat, the if you eat that meat, it will improve your fertility, your virility, your eyesight, your arthritis. Mm. It will make mm. you wealthier and make your hair grow. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous mm. that in this day and age, people are still torturing animals in that belief. Mm. I guess in the same way that we have bear bile farms in Vietnam, when actually, if you really believe bear bile is going to sort of do all the same, these same things, make you richer, more fabulous, more virile, you know, we can create bear bile yeah, yeah. chemically. <clears throat> we don't need to chain bears up in cages for 25 years, <clears throat> you know, tapping their bile. I <clears throat> mean, it's it's horrific. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, the dog meat industry, even as dog farming, in my experience, and it's something I would be able to talk a great deal more about because, you know, I do believe that if I am going to sit and talk about these things, I need to have experienced them. And I can talk about a lot of the work that we do because I've been to a lot of these countries mm. and I've seen what happens to dogs in certain countries. But I am going out to close down a dog meat farm in South Korea. Well, talk us through that. Like, how are you, how are you going to do it? Are you just going to rock up and just paddle out the door and say, yeah. you're a victim? <laughs> Could you please stop that? <laughs> it's not very nice. No, I'm going with um, a team of people and um, an amazing woman, Lola, who has been doing this for an incredible amount of time. And it's sponsored by the Humane Society. Uh, and what the Humane Society doing, they raise funds to retrain the dog meat farmers. So that, I mean, we can go and close down a dog meat farm and they'll open, you know, mm. 500 meters down the road. Yeah. I mean, so what's the point? And Soy Dog, which is an amazing charity in Thailand, has done this very successfully in northern Thailand where the dogs come in before they're shipped out to various countries as dog food, where they retrain people in, you know, whatever it is, whether it's farming or weaving or making product or train them into doing something else to earn a living so that they're not slaughtering and torturing dogs. Uh, and that's really the aim of what we are going to be doing right. in uh, October, November, I believe, when we're going. Great. So we're retraining the farmers and then we're allowed to take the dogs from the farm. A lot of these dogs, I mean, they're kept in just rusty cages mm. with no floor, no water. They're fed waste. Um, they often have their eardrums shattered so they don't bark. Um, a lot of them have graphic, which I to me. A lot of them have their paws removed so they can't run away. Um, you know, it's, a, it's pretty horrific and mm. it's certainly not something I'm looking forward to to doing. I am mm. looking forward to doing it actually because it's going to make a difference yeah. and that's gonna, how I gonna, can get, gonna... things, get through things. But mm. no, it's, It sounds horrific. So. Well, well done for you for doing that. So moving back to the podcast and while we're doing this, yep. um, obviously it's through raise awareness of these issues you've just, um, you've just brought up, uh, get some awareness for Wild at Heart Foundation. And so how, talk us through how we're going to do that. We're going to have a variety of guests, people you're going to be talking to in the future. Uh, dog lovers, but also people who 
do what you do or help you. Yes. I mean, I think that, you know, what I'd love from this is to raise more awareness mm. for the foundation, but not just for the foundation. There are so many incredible, incredible charities out there in this world globally doing so much to help make this world a better place. And, you know, if I had one wish, it would be for our world to be much better and for people to be kinder. So in any way that we can spread awareness of people doing incredible work, because I think more charities should work together and there should be more collaboration. If we can talk about educating people, if we can bring awareness to people of the plight of an animal globally and how people might be able to help and make a difference. But also we can talk to behaviorists about issues they might have with their dog what are the benefits of rescuing a dog as opposed to buying a dog? And if you are going to buy, let's teach people to buy a dog responsibly. You know, we've got so many people that we would love to have on and hopefully we will be able to talk to. And I think sort of campaigning and, you know, if you feel that you want to do something to help, we can teach you, show you, ask you, you know, how you might be able to get involved. There's so many things that people can do to help us make things better for a dog generally in this world. Brilliant. And if people want to get in touch uh, to make a donation or um, contribute in some way, where, where should they go? Best place to go to our website is wildatheartfoundation.org. Um, we're on Instagram, Wild at Heart Foundation. Google us, find us on, online. Brilliant. Okay, well, so that's our first show. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you uh, so much. And join us next time when Nikki will be the host. Thanks for listening, Wolf Wolf. <laughs> Thank you.